0: Well, good morning. Am I on? Thank you so much this morning, everyone, for uh, preparing us in, in worship and uh, participating to this point. Uh, it's, a g- it's a good day to be with you. Thank you so much for coming to chapel. That's always appreciated. And uh, I just need to start out by <clears throat> highlighting you remember those of you who were here Tuesday, we're, we're speaking on living in culture, and Peter Moore was with us. And remember that photo he showed up there of the BMW car and the elephant crushing the car and he was very convincing that I was in that car. He was so convincing in fact and I, I uh, thought maybe I really was in that car <laughs> and somehow I had had some amnesia after that accident or something and I really did appreciate all of the concern shown from everyone but I do have to begin by telling you today that that was, was not true. I was not on a mission trip in that BMW getting flipped over by an elephant. Uh, that passage that Alicia just read, uh, we're not going to do an expository on it today, but if you're a note taker, uh, you'd, you'd write down uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. I think that was, as, as you saw, a very packed uh, portion of Scripture. And the elements that we're going to speak of in this message of truth this morning, uh, you, you will see very much as you study that all throughout that passage of Scripture in the life of Jesus himself. I was in ninth grade... And like any other Christian young person, I was discovering how to live out my faith in a secular culture. My parents and church taught me a lot of values. Tell the truth, avoid profanity, help others, don't brag, obey your parents and teachers, obey God, avoid evil. And there were choices in those little things every day that I could jump in and join in with what was happening in the culture or on many occasions when that wasn't right to, to be set apart from others. And truthfully, it was easier on a lot of occasions to join in with the majority than being different. And it was probably consequences that helped me not do that. Consequences that my parents set in place or others helped me avoid evil and avoid defaulting to just joining in. For example, one day I decided to join in with the guys down at the river and we were participating in smoking together. I smoked four in one day and I loved every one of them. (laughs) I loved it all until I got home and my sister smelled smoke on my clothing and she knew right away what had been happening and dad wasn't home yet. But I sensed that the consequences would be such that I'd better get myself cleaned up. And thankfully, on that occasion, I didn't have to face those consequences that day. Just the thought of the consequences saved me from a life of chain smoking. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. So that was the last, the one and only day that I ever smoked cigarettes as much as I enjoyed them. My sister and I one day, we were nine and 10 years old and we got into a fight while we were working on our tree house. One of the things that I learned that day was it's a bad combination to be angry at your sister and to have a paint can and a paintbrush in your hand. And I don't know how long the paint fight lasted, but by the time we got home, walked the mile back to the house, we were both covered head to toe in, in white paint where we had swabbed each other In anger and so I'll never forget my father's voice and his tone as he was working out in the yard come over here and I knew when I heard that tone that he was not impressed and I soon found out that he was not impressed you see he was a carpenter and he always had some sort of activity going and there was never a hammer far from him and in our family we believed in corporal punishment back in those days I know nobody would ever believe in that now and so he grabbed the claw end of the hammer, thankfully, and that came across the back of my legs and my buttocks a number of times to let me know that this, it was very inappropriate and that unrestrained anger was unacceptable. You had to have a good reason, like your kids coming home covered in paint or something, to have unrestrained <laughs> anger, of course. He used Varsal to clean us up, and he was not gentle as he did that. There was evidence that our faith many times collided with culture in other ways. No smoking, no drinking, no taking drugs, no dancing. This, in fact, became a problem when I was elected by my peers as the chairman of the dance committee. (laughs) I must have had some measure of popularity still. Maybe it was that I was such a good dancer, I'm not sure. But my parents and I deemed that it was probably best if I declined the position if I couldn't attend the dances. And so I did. No sports on Sunday. This was one that was particularly hard for me. I was a football fan for the last number of years. With the CFL, the Edmonton Eskimos back in those days had a quarterback named Tom Wilkinson and he would throw the ball for a lot of yardage yardage, with a wide receiver named Woodell Smith. I wanted to be like Woodell Smith, I wanted to play on the high school football team and become a wide receiver. The problem was all of the games were on Sunday and so I knew that that would never work and I submitted that over and laid that ambition aside. Now some would say it's too bad you grew up in that legalism and when I was in ninth and tenth grade I would have agreed but soon there were no regrets. What I gave up was in faith. I learned that I could live without what I lost. I could live without what I gave up. Scripture was a help in this. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, All things are permissible, but not everything is constructive. First consider this, I first considered this in high school with a book entitled, Should a Christian Wear Purple Sweat Socks? It was a little book that highlighted that passage of Scripture, everything is permissible but not everything is constructive. And we all cheer as the book said, we should have freedom from legalism. Yay, we agree with that. But it went on to highlight verse 24, the verse following that, nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. And it raised the questions, were there freedoms that I could give up that could be more beneficial to my relationship with God? Were there things I could give up from a conscience to obey God, or things that would be more constructive to my relationships in the Christian community in which I reside, like when my culture collided with my father's and he was going to do something to me? (laughs) That was an example of two cultures colliding, and maybe I should give something up. And truly, I am thankful that my parents cared enough to discipline me so that I learned the wisdom of seeking the good of others not just my own. There I was, at the age of discovering dating ethics. I discovered that her interests were not always the same as my interests. I wanted to go way farther than she did, and faster. I wanted to play football, and she wanted to go to the mall, is what I mean by that. Wherever your mind was going, I'm not sure. In my relationships, I am to seek the good of the other, what is in their best interest. And what I learned over and over again was that if I was obedient to God, my life would be different than other people. I had to dare to be different. I had to have courage. If you are an obedient Christian, your life will be in contrast to culture. That's point number one, contrast. I know you wondered so far, is there a point to this? That's point number one. Christians will live in culture in contrast. Two weeks ago, we went on a camping trip, a number of you with me. It was raining and it was snowing. The van was parked out in the yard and we got in the van and I said, are you ready for this? And I heard this voice from the back it was Michaela Veach she said where's all the dudes it was true there were 13 of us and 9 were girls I'm thinking here's a dude right here I'm 100% dude I I got a mustache I'm a dude and then I'm looking over and there's Austin Rahm and Tyler Hardy and my son Miles we're all the dudes you need Austin, he even gets the van stuck when we get to the campsite area. That's what dudes do. They get vans stuck in big, heavy objects. And this dude got out his four-wheel drive Tacoma and toe strap. no kidding, pulled out the van. We were dudes. <laughs> it was raining. Raining hard. It was muddy. The rain's coming down. We're slipping around. We're feeling like dudes in a Toyota commercial. Then there's Josephine Krause. She gets there, she's building a fire. She's got a pile of wet wood. She's pulling tinder like, I don't know, dryer lint or something out of her pockets. She's getting down there in the wet. She's pulling the wood over. She's saying, get me some dry tinder. I want you to block the wind. I gotta get this over here. I'm lighting a match on my zipper or something. I don't know. (laughs) She's some kind of Eagle Scout. Ten times better than any dude. She's in command. <clears throat> we got the fire going. It took about a half an hour. And it felt good in the rain. You could now stay dry on one side, and then you just turned and you flipped every once in a while. <clears throat> and as that fire got bigger, it started snowing. And we're standing there. The, fire, the more it snowed, the better the fire felt. <clears throat> And we're there for about 45 minutes around the fire, talking and singing and enjoying ourselves. And all of a sudden, I noticed something. I said, everybody, come away from the fire. Come out here into the darkness. I said, put away your flashlights. And it was very interesting that with what little light there was, you could now see all around us. It was like being in some kind of a black and white picture because you see anywhere the snow had fallen on flat surfaces... It was there reflecting the light. But all the vertical surfaces like tree trunks and other things were still dark. And it was because of the contrast that you could now see all around you. I wish you all could have seen it. It was beautiful. But you all did not have the courage to come camping in the rain. (laughs) And I say to you today, if you have courage, if you dare to be different in your culture, you provide contrast. God can use you to show others truth. Their eyes will be opened and when they see the contrast between the life you live and culture, they will see. Point number two this morning is confession. Christians live a consistent life of confession. It was in Acts chapter three that Peter and John are going up to the temple and they come across a beggar who was placed there every day to beg for money. They, of course, give the standard answer Christians give, we have no money, but Peter says, look at me. Look at me. What I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this man, who's a crippled beggar, stands up and he's walking with them. And the people are astonished, it says. This is something different, it's contrast. And their natural response is, wow, this is awesome. You guys are awesome. Peter takes that moment to confess that it's not us, it's the power of God at work in us. And in fact, with courage, he preaches the gospel, Jesus. Remember the guy you killed, he says, we witnessed it, God raised him from the dead, now repent and turn to God. An in your face kind of message. There will be moments in your life when because of the contrast they see in you that you're different from the norms of culture, people will see something perhaps curious or even awesome in you. And it's in those moments that you can accept the praise for yourself or you can confess that the only good in you is God that is in you and the power of God. When I lost football as a possibility, God provided something else. The high school coach came recruiting and it turns out he was the best, the high school volleyball coach came recruiting. And as it turns out, He was the best high school coach of any, hands down. One of my first questions to him was, are the games on Sunday? He said, very few. And he said, if you hold that conviction, he said, I have no problem with that. The times that we have tournaments that are over Sundays will be fine, you won't need to be there. And so I was in. The coach understood. But not all of my fellow players did. There was contrast contrast in the way I spoke, the things I laughed at when I was absent from the court on Sundays. And I could have made up different excuses for that, but I chose to openly confess Christ. The team knew that I was a Christian. And because I had now lived with that contrast through junior high school for some time in a number of years, it actually was a little easier than it might have been in high school because it was informed by the word of God The Holy Spirit, I believe, was beginning to take root in my life in a way that it was not just my will to be different or to have contrast, but it was his power at work in me. And a lot of what went on in the culture around me in high school and on the team was foolishness. And I'm thankful that the more you grow in Christ, the more his spirit is in you, that some of those things you don't even have a compelling or desire to do or to be a part of anymore, that the contrast gets easier because it just looks more and more like foolishness and folly. I was not always admired and loved on my team for my confession, my consistent confession. In fact, one of my teammates that most antagonized me because of my confession was a guy named Kirk. Kirk was a year ahead of me and was a part of the core in-group on the team. And with terms like rookie and goody-goody, He made it plain that he was in and I was out. That created a dilemma, dilemma, since I knew that my confession would remain clear and I would not compromise on that. To me, the only in that would be earned would be through my athletic skill. And so I went to every extra morning practice before school, all season, and I did jump training in my backyard. And finally, by the final weeks of my first season on the team, I earned a starting position. And so it turned out for me that no shortcuts, but my consistent confession made me a better player and it made me a better person. And more than what I got out of that consistent confession was what Kirk received. He received Christ into his life. Two years after I left high school, my phone rang one day and it was Kirk. He wanted me to know that he had received Christ at a Presbyterian men's convention and he wanted to get together to pray and spend time together. And in our many conversations that followed, Kirk described to me how convicting it was for him when he saw the stands that I took. And it was that sense of conviction, in fact, that had made him act like a jerk. He used to tease, he used to try to entice me to evil and try to get me to participate in the things of the team that really weren't godly and with a Christian witness. I say today to you, whether it's in the face of admiration by some, or ridicule, or even anger, make your confession consistently to culture. Find ways to say and to show that God is the reason for any contrast that people will see in you. Christians in culture are people of contrast, they have a consistent confession, and thirdly this morning, they have contentment. They are a people of contentment. The culture we live in has two great allures, I believe, wealth and celebrity, and there's a drive to success that we all have, and that success is often measured by two things, wealth and celebrity. Celebrity. Most of you have probably settled in your heart now at this time because of the profession you've chosen and those mounting student loans you see that you're not going to be wealthy by the world's standards. But yet, you'll find yourself seeking security and comfort all along the way that that extra money can bring you. I do, I battle with that, and other people do. And then there's celebrity. It would be nice to know that we have significance, wouldn't it? If they know who I am and what I did, maybe it leads to respect, a top job, some benefits, security. And as you know, media immerses us constantly in all of these things. Cars, clothes, Freedom 55, retirement early, look who won the lottery and how free they are. Have you heard the latest hit song, gotta have it, gotta experience it, you deserve it. Even in the church, we get good at contrast and our confession, and the accolades come. And we start to believe somehow we deserve the praise, the status, and the security that comes with that. This was exactly the temptation that Satan used with Jesus. He'd been fasting for 40 days in the desert, we see in Matthew chapter 4. He's at his most vulnerable, and he's hungry. And Satan comes along with a simple suggestion. Why be hungry? If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. Jesus answers Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He refused to take his needs into his own hands, but he was willing to even suffer yet to let God provide. And that's the message to the Christians, to us, down through the ages. The message is this, the truth, the word of God sustains us. We can trust God to provide. You will be tempted to take shortcuts to provide for yourself. You'll want to leverage your popularity for greater success and for security. But don't take those shortcuts. The Apostle Paul tells us, gives us this verse in 1 Timothy 6.6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I want you to say that with me. It's one that I hope you'll meditate on after this message, even. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Say it again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's 1 Timothy 6 6. You see, the issue of contentment is actually a question of faith, believing in the unseen. Even though it's nowhere in sight, can you trust God to provide the increase? If I don't see where the money is coming from, do I defile the Sabbath? Do I take the tithe? Do I steal from others? If I've not found popularity, maybe I'll just jump in with this group who does evil. That would at least feel better. Or maybe I'll promote myself. I'll pretend that I'm something I'm not. So that I can be popular and be the end. Will you wait on God? Or do you have to assume assume control and do it your way? I think a lot of people in our culture are assuming control and doing a lot of self-promotion. It's great to use the internet to get our highlight reel out in front of everyone. And if you don't do that, if you don't get followers and likes, you lose. And you know, I think that's right. Whatever game that is, you lose. You fall behind. You're not the popular one. You're not the winner. And I have a very inspiring message for you today. Are you listening? It's okay to lose. It's okay to lose. You don't have to make a success of yourself. No, you don't. Obey God, live by his truth. And God will add the increase in his own time. I love the image that Christ uses in his teaching as there's a master holding a banquet and everybody's getting ready to be seated at the banquet table and there are seats of honor. And Christ says better to be seated in the humble position and be asked by the master of the banquet to move up to a better place than to be embarrassed because you've sat in the exalted or the honored place, and you're asked that these seats have been reserved for someone else, so could you please move? The greatest among you will be your servant. Matthew 23, 12, in that teaching says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted eventually. You may not see it yet, but you are to have faith as a Christian and be patient, and allow God to exalt. You see, when I begin, I realize in my life, when I begin working to exalt myself, these awful things creep into my heart, like discontentment, impatience, lust, greed, competitiveness, pride, selfishness, and strangely, eventually, I become just the opposite of the success that I had hoped. And I can think I'm above it and you can think you're above that, but we're not. It is truly the fruit of self-indulgence if we are self-seeking as we walk with the Lord. So if I'm content, if it's okay to lose, am I lazy? Am I passive, aimless? I don't think so. There's still a lot of work to do even when you're a loser. The Apostle Paul did that He was the one who walked a path to prison, right? Probably didn't appear like a real winner. And he paints a beautiful picture for us of contentment under the title love in Romans chapter 12, verses nine through 21. I wanna read that for you. This, I think, is the image of a content Christian at peace with self and at peace with culture. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. That's not laziness. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving who? The Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. That's a consistent confession. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, some of you are gonna have that kind of character not because you exalted yourself to convince others that you are some of that, but because of the truly the spirit is in you. And the truth may be that your life really isn't much of a highlight reel. In many ways, you are quite ordinary. Maybe you'll not even be close to a celebrity, a stay-at-home mom, a retail clerk, an average pastor at an average church, Perhaps sickness came to you or your family in life, and it was a setback. For any number of reasons, you got passed over, and success and celebrity never came. Maybe even today, you feel like you're losing. It's other people who seem to have it all going their way. Oswald Chambers, under the title, Greatness in the Ordinary, writes, Yet what you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And he describes in a passage that in the scriptures, there's the great miracle of the incarnation, God coming down into man, but it slips into the ordinary life of a little child in a manger. And then there's the great miracle of the transformation on the mountaintop, but it soon fades into the normal of the demon-possessed valley below. And there's the glory of the resurrection that descends with Christ at a breakfast on a seashore with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Chambers says this is not anticlimax, but a great revelation of God. We have a tendency to look for the wonder in our experience, and we mistake heroic actions for real heroes. It's one thing to go through a crisis grandly, yet quite another to go through every day glorifying God when there is no witness, no limelight, and no one paying even the remotest attention to us. If you are not looking for halos, if we are not looking for halos, we at least want something that will make people say, what a wonderful man of prayer he is, or what a great woman of devotion she is. If you are properly devoted to the Lord Jesus, you have reached the lofty height where no one would ever notice you personally. All that is noticed is the power of God coming through you all the time. We want to be able to say, oh, I have a wonderful call from God. But to do even the most humbling tasks to the glory of God takes the almighty God incarnate working in us. To be utterly unnoticeable requires God's spirit in us making us absolutely humanly his. The true test of a saint's life is not successfulness, but faithfulness on the human level of life. We tend to set up success in Christian work as our purpose, but our purpose should be to display the glory of God in human life, to live a life hidden with Christ in God in our everyday human conditions. Our human relationships are the very conditions in which the ideal life of God, should be exhibited. Are you content if it looks like you're losing? Is it okay if you're not in the limelight or you don't have the attention drawn to your noble actions, your sacrifice, and your best efforts? Have you become more devoted to Jesus and abiding in his truth so that you can be content with him instead of grasping for worldly accolades? Are you striving for your success or are you content to display God in a simple human life? Christians who live in culture live in contrast. They have a consistent confession and they have an abiding contentment. I realize today that my final point may not be convincing because... People in our culture listen to winners, don't they? So success will give me a platform to be a more effective voice, right? Losing just doesn't seem to work in our culture. This morning I want to leave you with what I thought was a powerful real-life illustration, the power of losing. This happened just a few weeks ago in western New York in some of the area that I used to hang out in. Allegheny County is the poorest county in New York State. And it was a team from Bolivar Richburg that hadn't won a game all season. It was a cold, wet day, the end of the soccer season, and they were playing the team from the city, Rochester, the top number one team. There were 12 minutes left in the game, and they were down six to nothing. And so the top seeded team, the Rochester team, started putting in his second string players, members of the JV team. Before the game, the Wolverines coach, the Bolivar-Richburg Wolverines coach, had said to his team, this is number one versus number 16. It's David and Goliath squaring off. So he said to his boys, just make them respect you. While they were behind 6-0 and 12 minutes left on the clock, and the opposing coach began putting in these team, these members from the JV squad. One of the players from the Rochester team who was put on the field was Zach Adams. He was a senior with Down syndrome. It was the first game that Zach had ever played in. And what happened next was an act of sportsmanship, thoughtfulness, and kindness that brought tears to the eyes of Zach's parents and to many other spectators on both sides of the field you could see that the Kendall kids from Rochester were trying to get Zach the ball. And the Wolverine players just kind of fell right in with it. And the next thing you know, after taking a pass from his own brother, Jake, and with an even bigger assist from the Wolverine players, driven by something bigger than wins and losses, Zach put foot to the ball and scored his first varsity goal in his first varsity game. People watching said it was amazing. It was something special. It was an unforgettable act of sportsmanship and one that didn't end with this very special player scoring this very special goal. But after the goal was scored, the Wolverine players were just as excited for Zach as his own teammates and crowded around and gave their congratulations. And Zach's excitement was palpable. There were tears in his eyes. Tears in the eyes of his mother and the spectators and Zach jumped into his father's arms. The coach who watched called it a prized memory that their family will cherish all their lives. He couldn't say enough about the character exhibited by the Wolverine players and coaches. It's clear that their program is run with class and respect, he wrote. The coach of the Wolverines said what's most amazing is that our kids were zero for 16, they hadn't won a game all season, they were getting beat again, it was cold, and they still took the time to think about someone else. That pregame message about earning the other team's respect, mission accomplished. The act of kindness transformed the last place losing Wolverines to champions of the heart. It's okay to lose. Just live in contrast. Make your consistent confession. Be content to be a champion of the heart. Would you stand with me, please? The musicians are coming, and we're gonna close in song this morning. And I just hope that if the Lord has stirred your heart this morning, if there's something in your life that he's asking you to pray about, to get in place. The altars are open and I'm gonna invite you to come. God bless you.